0: I'm Commander Shepard, and Normandy FM is my favorite show on the Citadel. Normandy FM. Normandy FM. Normandy FM.
1: Normandy FM. Normandy FM. Normandy FM. Normandy
0: FM. Hello and welcome to another wonderful episode of Normandy FM, the, not the one and only, but, you know, we are a pretty good Mass Effect retrospective podcast. If I Pantheon. say so myself,
1: I would, I would say so, I guess.
0: In, in the Mass Effect cinematic retrospective universe... We do number among those that are included in them. You know, we, mm-hmm. we do try. Uh, right. Shoutouts to our other friends out there in the Mass Effect. The, the M-E-R-C, the Mercue? That doesn't sound right. Oof. That sounds bad. Mercue. <laughs> like
1: I mean, it sounds close to like a planet, so it's space-ish. Like, there's a there's a through line there.
0: That's what we're going to do to one certain bad cat dude today is we're going to you. Eric Van Allen, I am, alongside Kenneth Shepard. We're looking to merc some Ket. This has been rough. Alright. Look we're here, we made it though, we made it. Look, we're out of practice because it
1: if... it has been a while. Like I always so it's always usually a week when we record these things, but it's felt like it it's felt like a month since we last spoke to each other through Discord
0: to record one of these shows. Yeah, something like that. So for those who have been avidly listening to our retrospective, first of all, thank you so much. You can follow us at Twitter.com slash NormDFM show or head on over to Patreon.com slash NormDFM if you want to contribute and keep the lights on around here. We're actually very close to our Dragon Age incentive, which means if we reach that, uh, this party won't end at the end of Andromeda. We will have three more games to go. And, three and a uh, half. Uh, three and a half. Wait, What? dragon age origins awakening we'll discuss that another point but <laughs> it's already on
1: patreon you gotta
0: live with it oh god <laughs> why why <laughs> those I games say, are so much longer those games are like, so much longer <laughs> i like
1: the, the idea of playing through dragon age 2 and inquisition again that excites me holy shit i would like do anything to be able to skip Origins. That is not in the spirit of Normandy FM. We play through all the bad shit to get to the good shit.
0: We do. We, we suffer because we believe in the value of the retrospective. We believe in the the educated mindset going into criticizing these works. We want to be able to offer the most holistic in-depth coverage we can of this and that being said i played the gameplay segment for this about 30 minutes ago (laughs) 30 minutes better late than never yeah i mean it'll be fresh i probably won't stumble over as much this time uh remembering things god knows i probably still will but um for those of you who have been avidly listening along you you will remember last episode which would have been last week for y'all was a double header that we recorded prior to PAX West which is why my voice now sounds kind of nasty it's because I'm still recovering from the PAX West pox uh it it beset all of us and there were no survivors and no mercy so here we are except for Uh. the scrubs that didn't get to go like me Look, you—you uh, you made it out all right. You made the right choice. We—we uh, <laughs> uh, we were sad that you were not there, Ken, uh, but you were with us in spirit always, and—and uh, and quite literally at times when we would send you messages from a party <laughs> saying we miss you. Um, yeah, but. We've also, I, I will say this early on, even though we won't talk about it until the the latter half of this podcast, uh, the other reason that I played this section so late was because, uh, Ken, both you and I have been binging another game that might be of interest to the people listening to this podcast mm-hmm. right now, and that game is called Greedfall, and it is not mm-hmm. made by BioWare, it is made by spiders, which is horrifying, but apparently the spiders have gotten together and uh, figured out how to make a video game. And it's interesting. Let's let's tease it mm-hmm. a little bit. It's interesting. There is a lot to talk about. Uh, review embargo went up uh, as of this recording yesterday evening. Uh, can you have a review out there? I mm-hmm. have impressions out there because I was not able to binge it as much as I would have liked this weekend, and am aiming for probably end of this week maybe start of next week for my full review impressions but we'll talk about that after we get through the andromeda section because we have comparatively less to talk about this week because we wanted to focus simply on rescuing the moshai in mass effect andromeda this one specific mission because not only is it a very large mission uh, in terms of the things that you're doing. Uh, it's a lot more structured and narrative than the things that we've done so far, which have felt a lot more free-form, open-world. But it's also very focused narratively and has a lot mm-hmm. to discuss in terms of like the broader implications of the Andromeda universe. So we wanted to devote the entire episode just to this. It just so happened that it timed up very well with our Greedfall discussion, so we'll be able to slide that in there neatly at the end. But... Let's talk about the setup for rescuing the Moshai. Because at this point in Andromeda, we have ingratiated ourselves with the Angaran. We've shown them that we are here to help them. And now we're going on this clandestine rescue operation that is only going to work because we have our AI with us. Uh, And right off the bat, it, it definitely feels like one of those heist missions. Like you're doing some really cool sneaking around stuff breaking through fences, making holes, busting through vents. I, Because I had not played this game for just about over two weeks, I would completely forgotten how to melee, so I shot most <laughs> of the vents instead. I mean, uh, whatever works, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't so much the element of surprise anymore, but uh, it, it was a thing I did. Uh, and, and I will say, so starting right off the bat here, who did you bring on this mission? Because I'm curious... Are you able to not bring Jahl on this mission? Because I felt like I had to... He is required? Okay. Because I was like... And I would have
1: brought him anyway, because he's part of my main Andromeda squad,
0: so... Yeah. Yeah, I was like, this is Jahl, this is about the Angara. I kind of knew some of the things that were coming, because again, I have played this game in the past. I remembered this mission very specifically uh, as one of the things that I had played in the past, both in the good and the bad way. Um... So after we bust into the Ket facility using our AI hacking of the electric fence and less technological hacking of a rusty vent, uh, we arrive and immediately the Ket are starting to employ some new tactics, one of which is an invisible smoke bomb. Uh, This was the first time I had encountered this tactic. I'm not sure if... Mm. uh, this is, like, de facto the first time you will ever see it in the game, but it was, like, the first time I had seen this tactic deployed by the cat. Right. Uh, it is incredibly annoying, Ken. I don't know how to deal with it. Well, you gotta use
1: Nova so you can dive in there and just cast a wide net of biotic damage so
0: you're sure to hit something. But the the thing I'm not crazy about is that while you can still kind of spray and pray in the area, there doesn't seem to be a way to tag them using abilities. So say like to light them up. So that way you can target them. And when all your abilities, if you are a biotic adept like myself are, you know, require some level of target, the best I can do is just kind of chunk a biotic lance and hope it hits something because by my uh, lift and throw, I believe, or what's on my L1, R1, uh, Mm they don't hit anything that's in the cloud, even if it makes contact. It kind of, like, flies off like a curveball or a fl- foul ball off to the right, right field or whatever. I guess it does its job, then. It's It, it works. It's effective. So, it, it is at this point that I maybe start to get a little frustrated with combat, and maybe not necessarily mm-hmm. even because of the, the tactics they're employing against you. I think it's fine. You have to change things up a little bit. I was definitely starting to feel that my equipment was not up to snuff. My Charger SMG was... Even though it's level 3, does not feel like it's doing what I need that gun to do anymore. Mm. Uh, So I'm probably going to consider swapping it out for something else uh, by the time we get to the next episode. But this uh, area in particular gets really frustrating because none of the cover feels very effective. Mm -hmm. It it doesn't feel like there is a design for cover in the way that Mass Effect 3 had. Uh, I I feel like we didn't talk much about Mass Effect 3's level design, like its actual arena design, Mm -hmm. but I felt like it was the best that the series had had up to that point. Uh, Mass Effect 2, for the most part, was also very good. Uh, Mass Effect 1 felt a little more haphazard, but uh, Mass Effect 2 and the Mass Effect 3 had... Shining examples of how to build this sort of like cover shooter arena, similar to like a Gears of War, because these games were thriving on that combat. They they needed to focus mm-hmm. in on that combat because they're doing less of the RPG stuff. Now that it feels like we're doing a little bit more of the RPG thing, you know, we're doing the class swapping, we're doing a lot more combos. There's a lot more potential in that system. It feels like there's less focus on the actual just like brute mechanics of this game like you know taking cover shooting moving around having options to move a lot of times it felt like the design of the arenas i was in were not very conducive to what felt like a, a good combat puzzle when i talked to the the doom eternal devs at E3 last year last year this year um they described arenas as like combat puzzles this idea that mm. you get in there and you have to solve it. And obviously the way that you solve it is by beating it, but you want to create a thing that forces you to think a little bit more than just running to a piece of cover and ducking and shooting and ducking and shooting. And mm. uh, Here, I was not getting as much of that. I'm just curious how you felt about this because the very like first third of this section is very combat-heavy.
1: I think a lot of it probably comes back to, like they're trying to adapt what is basically, like, an old Mass Effect way of creating a level in a game that is more about, like, the verticality and the exploration and sort of, like, being in a more open environment that you can move through. Mm-hmm. So, like, it does, it is like, it does make things feel a little less structured and pointed. And it's more like, um, like an arena than it is sort of, like, rooms and hallways to shoot through. So I can, I, I see that in the way that, like, I felt like I was less guided in the ways to get things done. And not, not necessarily, like, in a non-linear way, but more in just like a... It did not feel like rooms were necessarily specifically designed for me to approach them any certain way.
0: Yeah, I I think my one... And I'm not... I promise I'm not jumping ahead, but uh, the final combat arena you have in this section... Well, not final final, but the one you have against the quote-unquote boss of this area uh, just felt very odd because it felt like two... Ideas stacked on top of each other. You had an upper area that was these Mm. long hallways with scattered bits of alternating uh, pieces of cover, almost like moguls on a downhill slope. And I was like, okay, so they want you to kind of move between those, and there's going to be enemies advancing. It's going to be very um, trenches, like trench warfare fighting, moving up through cover, war of attrition, that sort of thing. But then the bottom area just kind of felt like it was there. Like if you Mm -hmm. fell down to it, you're like, oh, okay, I'm here now. And there's not a lot of like interesting cover design on that lower area. There's not really places where you feel like they're trying to get you to adapt or uh, change up your style to suit what the terrain is. It just kind of feels like it's there to fill space. Right. And. That's something I've been thinking about a lot with games lately. Uh, I mentioned this in my my work Slack the other day, is that I really like it when games feel intentional. Mm. Like when things in a game feel like they've been put there for a reason, rather than just Mm. to fill some level of space. And there were moments, and this is a good segue into this next section we go into, uh, there were moments where I felt like there was just a lot of space Mm. put in this area just to... Give the sense of space without like, really having things to fill them with, I think um th- I' did, like to just kind of like cap off this. I feel like when you're accounting for a game
1: like Andromeda that has sort of like the class and ability design that it does where you can go, like there's less ways to account for like the point at which a player is gonna be at this point, so like there's mm. sort of like it seems like the reaction to that idea is to just make things bigger so that you have more space to exist in and, you know, not necessarily feel constrained, which is like, like you said, there's like kind of like a, it's a double-edged sword in that way that like, yeah, I have the freedom to charge around and do whatever I want, but I also don't feel like, like a lot of times like I'm just picking off things that have sort of like scattered across the room rather than, you know, dealing with like what feels like a very deliberate, strategic,
0: you know, design right you're not you're not going in with a game plan and saying like okay i'm going to do this and then do this you're just kind of like okay just, let's see somebody charge somebody let's do this right. like um and there is like the flip side of that the good flip side is that you get a real sense of scale for how large this place is while you're playing it because uh quickly we realize that we're going to need to split into two teams and so the Angaran raiders who are with us go off to kind of make a distraction very uh Mass Effect one Kirahes squad sort of situation, only we're not sending anyone with them this time. <laughs> we're not leaving anybody on Vermeyer <laughs> this time around. Uh not that there's anyone on this team we'd want to leave behind, but Korra was getting a little uh a little grating. <laughs> um No, I'm just kidding, Korra's on the ship, she doesn't get to come along no, for the fun stuff. Uh, so as we as we move through here, we're kind of the strike team again, you know, very much like Commander Shepard. We're going through the the different areas because uh, we're the best of the best. We're Ryder. We're the Pathfinder. Let's do this. And uh, as we soon discover, after clearing out several more rooms of Ket, uh, we we get at first some glimpses into what Ket life looks like because uh, we get to see some dormitories yeah. on the way there that. Mm-hmm are interesting uh it's it so you find dormitories and you find what uh they theorize what your squad theorizes to be a schoolroom, or at least looks like it's built like a school room so you get the sense that there is um some level of living that mm. is happening here that this is not maybe necessarily a temporary settlement but a more permanent right. establishment uh and i thought that was interesting because it starts to describe the idea we, t- we talked a lot about the cat being this very faceless mm-hmm. enemy just the, the bad guy bad guy and ascribing some level of permanence to them this mm-hmm. idea that they have places that they can call home right. and routines that they might have in their lives other than just walking around in the open world waiting for us to run them over with the nomad mm-hmm. um, was was interesting although I feel like it gets washed over as we proceed through this level I don't know that it gets Uh, washed over. I
1: think that what we find out later kind of adds to it that there is like a there's an underlying culture to these, like you said, faceless people that we thought like just kind of like existed to be
0: the very stock things that we shoot at. Well, so there there is a level of confusion I have with how much of this pans out, and granted, that might be intentional by story purposes. Again, Ken has played this game a few times. This is really my first playthrough, quote unquote. Uh, So I do not know all the answers. But, uh, we will get there and I will touch on the subject, uh, when we get to this point. So as we get to a console and kind of open up these shutters and look out over a courtyard, we see who we later find out is called the Cardinal, uh, which is a good name. That's a good ass name, uh, (laughs) is, is hanging out below with a bunch of Ket and also has some Angaran prisoners, But they don't really seem like prisoners. In fact, they kind of seem like they're hypnotized. Mm. And he walks them forward into these pods and starts talking about how they're going to be enlightened. And they are chosen. And and good things are coming. Which is always a bad thing. Mm. It's never a good thing. (laughs) If anyone tells you that you will become enlightened and you have been chosen, get out of there. It's a bad situation. It's a bad time. Don't do it survive the horror movie don't be the person who's like i'm gonna find out what's in that house no the house is bad the house is haunted ghosts don't want you there don't go in the house that's all i'm saying um so uh here we're kind of faced with one of our first quote-unquote choices which isn't really a choice quite yet but just kind of setting the tone for what the ultimate choice of this area is going to be which is that uh we have the moshai we're going to rescue And once it's been discovered that uh, we are invading, that the raiders are starting to blow stuff up and create distractions, uh, the Cardinal and the Archon via hologram, telegram, whatever, uh, have realized that the intention is to raid uh, the the base and set everyone free. They start running to go get the Moshai, and we are kind of faced with an initial dilemma, which is, do we want to try and free the Angaran as a whole, or do we want to make sure we get to the Moshe? Uh Now, granted, we can't actually do anything about that at this point, but we do get to kind of make a choice and say what our intention is going mm-hmm. to be. Uh, so for me here, I said that we were going to try and save as many Angaran mm-hmm. as we could. correct? Right. Because that, you know... Yes, like, Joel's the Moshe right is priority. There. Yeah. <laughs> you know... As long as we're not making a choice at this point, uh, when you're just kind of being like, yeah, no, we're going to try and save as many as we mm-hmm. can, like, Moshe is priority number one, let's be a little real here, but if if we can hit some switches on the way out the door to let some more people out, mm-hmm. uh, just let's do it, you know, that's always better, so. Did, then did you get we some get into... back
1: from your other squadmate, too?
0: Yeah, so I had Vetra with me too. as my other squadmate. Oh, okay, cool, we rolled this perfectly yeah of course, uh Vetro was basically like that's not the mission priority. What are you doing and uh, I thought that was interesting, you know, granted, it's a game mechanic. I understand that that's probably said, no matter what mm-hmm. character is with you, but uh it i I like the idea that all of those characters have those I don't know why I was just thinking of it, but like all those characters had to record that line at some point and later lines that happen in this mission because of what's going on. I like that idea that there is this uh just greater feeling of having a squad mm-hmm. that interacts and things like that yeah. that that is affected by the things you do, which again was like a big issue with previous Mass Effect games. Mm-hmm. So where characters would show up and not say a word and like have no opinions <laughs> whatsoever. Or they would just kind of like toss an opinion out at very random times. It would be like oh, a thing is about to happen, and then you just get, like, one line from the Mm -hmm. person in the back where they'd be like, well, I, tally think that this is what we should do. And then Rex would be like, I don't give a fuck. (laughs) Um, Whereas now you get,
1: like, actual, like, like, very small moments of, like, confrontation. Like, you know, the sense that these people have, like, conflicting ideals, not with each other, but also with you.
0: mm Mm-hmm. And... It, yeah, it just adds a little bit more to the feeling that this is a squad that is fully invested in a mission that is working together that is not necessarily just kind of ramshackle there. Um, I love that word. I've been using that word a lot lately. So as we move on through this uh, this area, we, we get to a big old hallway of doom that we fight down, which... When I was talking earlier about how I didn't like some of the arena stuff, this was maybe the one where I was like, okay, yeah, this feels like a Mass Effect level. Mm. Uh, it reminded me a lot of the end of Mass Effect 1 when you're fighting up the side of the Citadel, where yeah. you just kind of have this long trench with little interspersed areas of cover. And, you know, you can go up high and you can fight along that area, or you can go down low and fight along that area, but it really felt good to fight through all that uh and there's a lot of dialogue that's really ratcheting up the tension as you're going they're like we gotta get to the most shy. we gotta hurry up raiders how are you doing is, is everyone okay like there's a good balance of tension in the yeah. segment that i really enjoyed um and then so we get further in and as we get stuck at one of the many decan- decontamination chambers that we run into uh First, we find that lots of Angaran are being kept in these stasis pods. Mm-hmm. and It's like the collector of the ship. It's weird. Like, that yeah, same, but not, something... not being turned into goo. They're not being turned no, into to milkshakes. Uh, they are just kind of being kept. And the purpose is, as of yet, unclear. And so we access a console. We try to figure out what's going on. And we get into the next room. And there we find... Uh, I don't believe this is the Cardinal doing this, but just some rando cat dude that does this one. I think the Cardinal is is present only for the Moshe thing. But we see an Angaran brought down from a stasis pod and opened up, and they get injected with these syringes uh, that begin to fill their veins with black goo. And as Jahl looks on in horror uh we find out the truth of the ket which is at least some of them are angaran who have been converted to the ket race exalted and, yeah they have been exalted they've been given a gift uh mm. they got injected with some nasty stuff man did not look happy did not look pleasant uh so this is kind of this is one of the big moments mm-hmm. of this Whole mission really it's the first narrative beat we've had that kind of gives us an idea of who we're up against it definitely has shades of the collectors mm-hmm. in that you know when you learn that oh husks are the colonists oh no yep. but Jal takes it especially hard mm-hmm. uh, and, and we get kind of a little character moment with him where we can comfort him or just try and be reasonable say like there was no way you could have known mm-hmm. you couldn't have saved them even if you tried but as we learn now the Ket are, as far as we can tell, essentially brainwashed Angaran who have been converted into the Ket race. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first, let me hear from you, Ken, how you kind of felt about this revelation the first time you saw it. I think,
1: like in this scene specifically, the thing that always stuck out to me was Jaws' reaction because, like, what it says more about him and sort of like the way that the Angara express themselves because, like you know, the, depending on the human, that you, or the Turian, like, you got very stoic responses to everything, where, like, Jol, kind of unlike most... Like, the only other, only comparable moment I can think of was, like, when Tally like, broke down when she found her dad and her loyalty mission in Mass Effect 2, where he just, like, straight up breaks down about what he's learned, and, you know, like, you get the opportunity to, like, uh, console him a little bit, because, cause, like, they talk about, like, for however long it's been that they could have been around... Everyone that is taken by the cat is never seen or heard from again, and you kind of get like these shades of like how many different people, like how many people that have been lost to the cat. probably like Jaws, even says something along the lines of like how many that I've killed or like fought, and it's like it's 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 weird being there for that sort of like ground zero of that discovery because, you know, like when we were going in, they didn't know anything about what happened to people when they got in there, whether they were slaves or experimented on, killed. So I think it's interesting to sort of see it, at least at this point, because I have some interesting stuff that'll happen later in the game. From this point I, the thing that sticks out to me is the way that it kind of affects the perception of the Angaran culture.
0: Yeah. It's um it's weird. I don't know. I I, I do I do really enjoy uh that Jol has this moment of just like where he has this moment of just absolute despair where he's like there, this has been going on for so long. You know, who knows what's been going through their minds? Yeah, you, you have that thought of what it's like for the the Angaran who have gone through this transformation and are turned into these monsters, and it hurts a lot. Um, and it was nice to have that moment that we can like comfort them, that that we can say like, "I'm sorry. Like, what can I do for you? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you need right now?" Um, I, I like that a lot. It was, it's a nice moment for. Rider to be a little bit more human than maybe Shepard ever mm. was in the series, because right. there are a lot of moments in this mission, particularly, that felt a lot more emotional and raw than right. the main trilogy uh, did at times. You know, Shepard often kept their composure and and decorum even when they were renegade, but uh, Rider is a little bit more freelance mm-hmm. uh just, just kind of going by wh- wherever the winds take them and again i don't know i don't think it uses the dragon age 2 system of your responses over time kind of right. affecting your dialogue but it does definitely feel like my rider is still very new to all this and right. so they're not really trying to maintain that level of decorum that Shepard might right uh, the greater question that this brings up i'm curious to know how this gets addressed so not all cat are converted from other races, correct? Uh, like there had to be s- there had to be some level of there was an original cat who turns other races into the cat. Like they're not wholly a species that was invented. There's
1: one specific one.
0: So yeah, yeah, what I'm saying is that there and this gets referenced later on, so I don't feel like we're getting into spoilers too much. But it, I definitely, at this point, was thinking okay, so a large amount of the cat that we have probably fought up until now were at some mm-hmm. level in Garn or another species that could have been converted all oh, of the Reapers. Uh, but mm-hmm. for that to have happened, there had to be some original cat. Mm-hmm. There had to be someone who either was Angaran themselves and initiated the transformation or was the only cat and was just some alien race that decided to start converting others to their cause. Mm-hmm. Uh, either way, we also kind of get varying levels of how, let's say how aware each uh, mm-hmm. cat is of their existence, right? Because you get the sense very early on, you know, we see the Angaran who are hypnotized and kind of walked into the pods. They are obviously brainwashed to some extent. uh there's some cat who seem to follow general orders. You know, they do the whole salute and all that kind of stuff, but they seem a little bit more like drones or worker bees mm. than any sort of hive mind. Whereas one character that we face here uh, pretty soon, actually, we're going to get to his actual fight, but we get introduced to them is the Cardinal, who is very much aware of what's going on and in support of the Archon's overall plan, whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. So it, it also raises an interesting question for me, I think, uh, that I imagine probably went through Jarl's mind as well, which is how much of the conflict in this game... Is intentional versus right. the result of some like brainwashing or mindless conscripting of soldiers? Uh, do the cat have a reason that they are fighting us beyond just wanting to fight us? Right. Um, and it's interesting. So as we progress further into the uh, the heart of the beast here, we then stumble upon the the cardinal themselves, well, first the Moshe we see the Moshe, mm-hmm. but we are not able to get to her in time as the cardinal uh, begins to make uh, their escape we fight through another room of Ket and then catch up to the Moshe and the cardinal who are attempting to get on a shuttle and we have to put a stop to that and the cardinal decides that uh, they're going to take matters into their own hands and fight us mm-hmm. and Ken mm-hmm. This fight flippin' sucks, man. <laughs> this fight flippin' sucks, dude. Did you get too it's close? It's not fun. It, it wasn't even too close. Okay, so, I mentioned earlier, I don't like the construction of this arena, mostly because if you fall down and you don't have any amount of shields, you are then completely without cover, and all the enemies have incredibly good aim and blast you <laughs> in the head a few times and you're dead. Mm. Um and I'm playing on normal difficulty, so I'm not expecting a complete handhold, but I am expecting some level of leniency that now makes me question what it's like to play this game on the highest difficulty. I couldn't uh, imagine. Absolutely would not do it. Yeah, sounds pretty bad. Uh, the other... I mean, the other thing here is I don't think that this design... I believe we talked about it earlier, uh, this design of enemy. I forget what they're called when it's not like a named enemy. Um, is it... a I want to say Templar, but I don't think that's right. You're talking about the Cardinal? Uh, like the Yeah, like enemy? what type of enemy this is. Oh, shoot. I, like, I knew this before it got brought up. Um... I know, like, you know a thing, and then somebody asks you mm-hmm. what the thing is, and then suddenly you don't know it anymore. It's the worst. As I scroll through uh, my
1: notes to find this out, okay, let me tell you about this problem that I have. If somebody, okay. no matter how long I've known them, asks me if I know their name.
0: You because you immediately forget it.
1: I, I immediately freeze up because like I don't want to be wrong. Like what if I thought I knew this person's name for the longest time, but it wasn't that.
0: <laughs> I'm actually now reading your notes, and I realize that you played a little bit further after the end of this mission than I did. So, bam, <laughs> I don't doubt it. <laughs> um, yeah. So, oh, I see. You just went around and talked to everybody on the ship yeah. afterwards. That's why. Okay. Um, and then you went back to Aya. So we can, we can talk a little bit about that with you leading the discussion, but.
1: Um, oh, you didn't even do that? Thought,
0: Come on, Eric. Well, I thought we were just getting, it. look, the, what, the you, notes said, rescue the Moshi. I did which, rescue the Moshi, Which includes the fallout of which. You, you gotta put that in there, man. If, if we're, <laughs> like, what, 43 episodes in? when i'm recording when i'm playing for the episode an hour prior to us recording you got to put that in the notes <laughs> mm. uh i get to i get to shirk this because i had no say in the scheduling of this particular game uh I, this is all on Ken, so i'm 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 playing blind here we're actually 42 um, episodes in. god this is great radio
1: i can't remember their name and,
0: it's i'll i'll look it up okay uh tell me how you feel about the cardinal in particular I for my first
1: through, few playthroughs, or no, not in my first few. Like my first playthrough, like getting sort of like as a person that boat that plays close range the vanguard, getting past like cause there are a few enemies, not just the cardinal that have like one hit kill moves, which we will come, which we will get to later, even in this mission, because one of them laid me out real good. Um, but like it is, what is interesting to me about it is, it is something that is very. Like, when you you meet one of these things, it's like a special sort of fight. Like, it's not. They're not something that's constantly thrown out at you. Like, even. Like, by the time we got to the end of, like, Mass Effect 3, like, the banshees and, like, the things that were supposed to be, like, the most intimidating enemies were coming fairly fairly standard. Like, they were in most, if not all, fights. So, I did Mm -hmm. like having this. I like having this particular type of enemy that, like, one, it signals, like, that you're probably near the end of a mission, and two, like, it is depending on your class and how you've, you know, spec right or out, can be, like, a very
0: genuine challenge. Yeah, I think the thing I did... It's a prefect, by the way. Prefect, prefect. that was it, yeah. Uh, and There are only five of them in the game, I believe. We've fought two of them so far. That sounds boring. Uh, but the thing I wasn't crazy about was just the way that this enemy is constructed, that they are invulnerable until you kill this rotating orb uh, that at times does freeze enough for you to hit it a lot but for the most part just feels kind of gimmicky in a way that mass effect never really has prior you know like mass effect has always at some level allowed you to just spray bullets at a thing to do damage to it whatever you want you know there there are times when something might be invulnerable for a boss fight or something like that but it never really plays this game of hit the tiny thing so you can hit the big thing and this is kind of the first time I, i i've seen mass effect do this and with the way... Like you said, if you are built a certain way, you are not built for this fight. Because, again, most of my biotic abilities do not do damage to it because of the properties of that orb. So I can really only biotic lance it. And then I just have to blast it with my Madoc and hope that I'm hitting it. Uh, because it moves decently fast. But also then it like really... The first time I, I fought, mm-hmm. so I, I died. I, I fought the Cardinal twice. I got I got the Cardinal down to about half health. Very long <laughs> war of attrition the first time. Second time around, I was like, okay, I need to use some consumables. I need to actually invest a little bit in this fight. I put some Disruptor rounds on my Manok to take out some of the early adds and start to pick away at the tiny orb, and then once that orb was about to go down, I switched to my charger SMG and loaded up with uh, incendiary ammo. And when that shield dropped, I was already like directly overhead and just unloaded the incendiary clip into this dude's head, reloaded, did it again. Uh, it only took me two times taking out the orb and then shooting the cardinal to take him down that time. Uh So in some ways it does reward you of playing in a way that's more intelligent and less conservative in the way that frequently Mm -hmm. we so are in games. You know, not wanting to spend our consumables and ending the game with a thousand potions and all that because we just never want to spend anything. But at the same time, I think just that mechanic now knowing that there are only five of them in the game makes me feel a little bit better because initially at this point we have now fought two back to back and so i was beginning to feel Mm -hmm. like oh no this is going to be like a regularly recurring enemy that they're going to throw at me but now knowing that it's reserved for very important moments where you really do want to have that difficult to fight character uh i feel a little bit better there's and there's maybe even another enemy that makes a, a reappearance here that I'm less wild about, but mm. we will get to that. Uh, first, we take down the Cardinal. Uh, we call in, we rescue the Moshe. The Moshe is very injured, and now we have our actual choice to make. So the Cardinal, first off, tries to stop us, and the Vetri straight up pulls a gun on that dude, saying, like, don't don't try it. Come on. What are you doing? Yeah. Uh, and so we have an option here where we can either cut a deal with the Cardinal, say, hey, if we don't blow this base up, uh, will you open all the cages of the Angara and let them free, save their lives? Or we can tell Sam to, I think it's like invert the shield generator or something right. like that to blow the place sky high. The Moshi surprisingly, wants us to blow the place sky high and Jol is the one who is saying i right. want to rescue the angarn ken mhm i save the angarn there you go i uh
1: we don't waste live here in the andromeda initiative
0: no and and i was just thinking about it you know like first of all Jol made a very good point we can just come back and blow this place up we right. we have done this once it does not seem like it's going to be difficult to do it again especially now that we've killed a good number of ket on our way right. here uh but more than that, uh, it seemed like an unnecessary waste of lives. And also the idea that maybe some of the Angarn we bring back will be able to learn something about the Ket process. Mm-hmm. Maybe if some of them have been affected by some of it, but not all of it, we might be able to begin to reverse engineer some of the, as we later learn, genetic engineering that the Ket mm-hmm. are doing to create right. more Ket. Uh, yeah. And there's,
1: like, the sort of, like, the downside to what Jal said, like, we can come back and blow it up later. Like, yeah, that is true, but also, like, the reason that we are so pressed for time is because the reinforcers are coming. Like, there's going to yes. be, yeah. like,
0: like in theory we could drop a nuke on it, but, you know, like, that's... Do those even exist in the Andromeda Galaxy? I don't think we've got those yet. you got
1: to assume that somebody in the initiative brought bombs. Like, if we brought guns, we probably brought everything else, Right.
0: Yeah, somebody somebody in the initiative was like, "Hey, what's that in your Footlocker? Nothing. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. Be <laughs> careful with it. Just real careful. Yeah. Don't know. Fragile. It says fragile. Please. <laughs> um, I wonder. Like, I mean, I don't know
1: science, but does that, does that not, like degrade to some extent? Six hundred years?
0: Oh yeah, it has a half life. Um, I mean, that's not even too much of science. I mean, if you look at, boy, this podcast is going to get dark quick. If you look at. <laughs> Places like Chernobyl, um, that's, like, a mm. good example of what the half-life of radiation is. So, I mean, I imagine that the isotopes themselves and things like that would also uh, have a half-life as well. If you... Please actually don't. I was about to say, if you know more about this, please email normdfm at gmail.com. <laughs> but actually, on second thought, please don't email us that. Um, we don't want to know. <laughs> we're, we're happy in our... Happy little comfort zone. We already got to worry about the climate. I don't want to worry about nuclear proliferation. That's what mm. Metal Gear Solid Five is for. Um, mm. So,
1: so the one thing that we, we did forget to mention.
0: Yes. The Cardinal con- confirms. Oh no. Oh, okay. The Cardinal th- confirms. Okay, I thought we were that- about to get to something else with the Cardinal. No. Oh no, no, no.
1: We'll get to that in a minute. The Cardinal confirms that the cat are all infused with the Archon's DNA.
0: Yeah. So. We so get there's your the answer.
1: A- who? Where's the origin of the cat? It is that dude.
0: Yeah, so one Archon is uh, is is the originator. Man, so, Ken, how much uh, regular live TV do you watch? Almost none. Okay, so I imagine like you're if... probably not watching football this Sunday and seeing ads for a new show that is coming out called It's Almost Family or something like that? Mm-mm okay so i I had to ask some people because when i this is on fox this is on national broadcast television uh this is a show about an o b g y n who okay. went had several women who oh. he was caring for that he used his own mm. uh right excretion <laughs> to like to impregnate them uh rather than those that. from donors yeah oh, okay yeah so I, and i asked around because i was like who would come up with this idea for a show this is bizarre and i was told that apparently uh this is a thing that happened in real life right. at some point uh and that it's kind of based off of that i was just like hey the the red girl from pitch perfect is in this i like her yay what's what's going <laughs> on here and then i was like oh <laughs> um but that's what this suddenly reminds me of mm-hmm. this, this, the Archon doing this because doing I think the Moshe even later on once we were back on the ship uh, refers to that like that is the cat's reproduction that is essentially right. their reproductive yep. cycle is just consuming other species
1: and like it's a, there's a special like there are even worse like undertones to it because like when we go to that place where the Angara were hypnotized and they were you know, going off to be exalted, there's like this massive statue of the Archon too. So like it there's like a,
0: mm.
1: a like a religious. Very, very cultish cult sort yeah. of like Ugh, it's
0: so now we look back on like that schoolroom that was in mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. exaltation facility and it takes on a much darker tone mm-hmm. than uh we expected. Yeah. So uh <laughs> Yeah. On on that note, uh so the cardinal it now that we have made the choice. Uh, I'm assuming you also made the choice to say to save the Vanguard prisoners. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now that we've made this choice, uh the cardinal begins to Well, first of all, you do have a great line here that I got where they go off on this big thing about how they're going to win and I answered with uh <laughs> uh talk closer or something like that I think was the option and Ryder was just like not if I fuck your shit up mm-hmm. and i was that, like Oh yeah, yeah oh man i was so glad i went with that other than the heart option or whatever um but then yeah. once you decide to let everyone out of their cages the, the cardinal's like i see you're starting to understand you're starting to and then you get an interrupt that just says kill them and Boom. you just pop them and it's like oh man that's i took that come on that's yep. look It's our rider right there. It's messy, but it gets things done. You know, (laughs) not letting that dude hang around, that person hang around. Uh, And then we got to make our grand escape, which is basically so we get another again. Not to compare everything to previous Mass Effects, but we get a little bit of that biotic shield walking from Mass Effect Two, which I would like to think is at some level a reference, uh, because there are a lot of like sections. Throughout this game, that do feel like kind of tiny little loving references to mm-hmm. Mass Effect trilogy, the the Shepard trilogy, as it were. Yep. That would be a good name for a Mass Effect remaster, like Mass Effect: The Shepard Trilogy. Would be good. Imagine that. Imagine the Shepard collection.
1: Remaster. Yeah. Yeah, we got the Master Chief Collection, the Nathan Drake Collection, the Commander Shepard Collection. Yeah. Where's it at, EA?
0: Where's it at on the Switch? Make it happen. Tokyo Mirage Sessions Sharp FE is getting a remaster for the Switch before Mass Effect is. I cannot believe that that is... I can believe it a little bit, but I still cannot believe that's a thing. Um, It makes me happy because I really want to play that video game again, but... I um, might
1: actually play it this time.
0: You should. Uh, Ken, I, I tell no lies when I tell you it is at least as good, if not better, than Persona 5. Ooh. Uh, right. I, I sincerely enjoyed that game uh, and the time I spent with it. It is, It combines a lot of the aspects of Persona with a mm. lot of the interesting combat stuff that comes from Fire Emblem. It mm-hmm. makes some very smart changes to that combat system. Uh, right. And also, I think the setting is a lot more interesting because you're not necessarily doing school life stuff, but you're doing more of like everybody is in the entertainment industry and they're all trying to break in through their various venues. So you have a singer and a dancer and some dude who wants to be on a power Rangers type show and things like that. Uh, and that's how you kind of progress through their social links is you're helping them break further and further into the industry and all the things that come with that. So you obviously deal with like some skeevy producers, performance, anxiety, that sort of thing. Uh, Hmm. I I really like it. I think it's a very good game. I'm glad it's getting a second life on the switch. I
1: were you able to enjoy it without the vagina bones
0: you know it's it's hard but i i power through it Ken. i power on through it and you know i i pause the game when i can and i pull out a sharpie and i draw those bones back on there because you know you can't you just can't go without them it's not the same game without massive vagina bones anyway <laughs> um so we got to fight our way out now uh, and this is another little situation where I'm suddenly like, oh, no, they're going to start throwing more of this enemy at me. That big old jerk that we fought back on... Um, oh, why can I suddenly not think of the name? We're so bad with names today. The first planet that you settle. Um, Eos, EOS, yeah. That we had the chance to fight back on Eos. Well, one of them shows up at the beginning. Uh, <laughs> yeah, as at you, the beginning. As you start to kind of fight back this horde while you're waiting for your extraction... And then once the uh, countdown ends, uh, there's just a bunch of them all Mm -hmm. coming in to just mess your day up. And it's basically like, hey, you better run to that extraction ship or you're going to die. I don't know why I
1: stopped to revive Vetra because that was the only time I've died so far in this playthrough for the show.
0: Oh, yeah. It it grabbed
1: me and it slammed me down.
0: I think Jahl died in mine. And I was like, well, I hope there's no such thing as permadeath through cutscene in this game. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't maybe it was the specific arena this time just did not seem built for fighting this character mm-hmm. because I ended up just running in circles around that circular platform because there's like that perfect stack of crates where you can just, you know, play ring around the Rosie with the thing. But mm-hmm. it didn't even, it didn't feel very interactive. It didn't feel very fun. It just kind of felt like, okay, just, I'm running in circles for some reason. The enemies aren't really shooting at me because I mean, the bionic fields helping, they're not really advancing past that, but this dude's just kind of running around trying to get me and I'm staying just out of arm's reach, uh, peppering him with bullets and eventually he died. Uh, what's not wild about that one either. Like so far, I feel like the most interesting cat to fight are their basic ground troops because they have some level of tactics and will move around and will try to do different things, whereas the boss enemy is just kind of has one gimmick and... These big dudes, I, I, I forget what their name is as well. I just, I call them fridges. They are fridges of meat. They are walking refrigerators. The fiends? Fiends, there we go. Well, I keep seeing them as like, for some reason when I was reading it, I was like, is that dude called a fridge? Because <laughs> it's a good name. It's a good name. The fridge. Uh, <laughs> the wall, the fridge. You know, just name them all after sturdy objects. Um, it's. I just don't think they're an interesting thing to fight
1: yeah how do you feel they're they're fine they're bullet sponges that have one hit kill moves like they're they're supposed to be like kind of like the equivalent of like a banshee or a brute from Mass Effect 3 like there's yeah really intimidating the really intimidating one hit kill enemy but there aren't a lot of times in this game other than like this and maybe like the very final mission I think Where you have to... Like, you are put in a situation where you're forced to fight them. Because they are generally, Mm. like, out amongst the wilds of various planets. So, yeah, it was just, like... Maybe that was just why I got so caught off guard by it. Because, like, it's something that you don't fight often enough for me to know... If I go and revive Vetro now, I am gonna get fucking pummeled.
0: Yep. Uh, But, hey, look. We get off... We get off planet. We jump on board. We save the Moshi. Uh, she's very not happy with us. She gives us some no, sadness. Boy. Ooh. Uh... But that was when I was like, okay, I like her. She's cool. Yeah. Um I like and... you are not
1: just some like old sagely elder. You're you got some bite to you too, which is nice.
0: Yeah. And and we get a little moment between uh her and Jol, we get some some more uh, exposition is the word I was mm. looking for. Uh about the Archon, although, again, the Archon still kind of feels like this very vague bad guy, bad guy, like, oh, he's looking for a remnant tech. It's probably something in there. It's going to be super bad for all of us. I I don't feel like the Archon is a very endearing villain yet at this point, and I'm still Mm. waiting for the shoe to drop on him being a villain I care about fighting versus, you know, like, at at least Saren... Like, the Reapers are... This very one note villain, but they kind of got by on that attitude of, you know, we are inevitable, we are machines, right. we are above humanity, you cannot stop us. Whereas Archon is obviously, at least from what we can tell, a thing that does bleed, can die, is, you know, organic at some level, and has some sort of ambition. It's not just looking to straight up destroy everything. But at this point I'm you know I'm hoping for that saren uh moment where I get a little bit more exposition into who this character is mm-hmm. into into their their psyche a little bit you know we haven't had i when I think of saren, I think of Vermeier because mm-hmm. that's the moment when Saren becomes the villain where you really get an idea of who this character is and right. what their beats are and we've not had that yet with the archon, which is kind of a bummer I mean, re- really at
1: this point. Other than you know the one sort of faith on the ship where like we had that back and forth, we've not really had that many, much interaction with the Archon at this point, like specifically Ryder to the Archon. So right. maybe they got to establish some sort of dynamic there
0: first. Maybe in future episodes we will uncover more about the Archon and why they're doing what they're doing, but for now we're gonna have to cut it there because sadly I did not do all my homework. Nope. Even though I feel like I followed the syllabus quite well. We'll talk a little bit more about <laughs> uh, some of the fallout with the companions and stuff uh, moving into our next episode. Which will be, as I pull up our pinned messages, uh, so I can double check. Um, which will be the Archon's ship. Okay, that's apparently the next place we're going. It's Archon's ship, so maybe we'll find some things out there. Eric Who would knows? know that
1: if he had gotten to... like. like you get to the, you get to the fallout of every mission that's what we do like you wait till you get the one that says like
0: new priority mission you didn't even I was finish on a, it. I was on a time crunch I was on a time crunch and I was on a time crunch because Ken we played another game this last weekend that we should probably talk about now yeah uh we played greedfall by spiders uh so just again to lay out some of the preliminary stuff here uh I my day job is that I am the news editor of US Gamer. And while that mostly means that I covered the news, every once in a while I get called upon to pinch hit for a review. And in this case, it was because we are a small team and we literally have, you know, like X number of hours in the day. Uh, we knew that we wanted to cover Greedfall, and that I was the the Bioware fan to do it while people were on other projects. So uh, I'm currently working on my Greedfall review for US Gamer. Ken, you are a freelance writer at Mm -hmm. many large and respected outlets. Hopefully soon, US Gamer, one of these days. But (laughs) you are also at uh, Polygon. You have appeared at Paste. You have appeared at Gaming Gaming Magazine, I believe. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was... I always forget because I'm always like, is it gaming.com or is it Gaming Magazine? Because uh, mm-hmm. the whole idea of magazine and the title of website in 2019 still wears me out. Uh, <laughs> but I love, I love their work. I love what y'all do, Gay Gaming Magazine. Uh, spectacular work, uh, especially what Ken writes for y'all, oh. and also into the spine. Gotta shout mm-hmm. them out. Yep, love, love our spine kiddos. Some of whom will be on here at some point eventually and uh for this particular one you wrote for cgm mm-hmm. and you have completed a full review of this game you yeah. beat the whole darn game uh which is an impressive feat we we all not in got time though know. so yeah but i mean there are people who still have this game and have been playing it and have not gotten around to writing the review myself included so uh you know we do what we can in the time that we are allotted but um to start out, so Spiders is an interesting studio because they've largely been known for creating... They, they are a European studio that makes role-playing games, and I've not played any of their prior games, not, and I but either. I went back to kind of look at what the general consensus was on them. They've made, uh, most notably, Bound by Flame and the Technomancer, uh, which I had not heard of Bound by Flame, but I knew that some people had played right. it and had good things to say about it, but it was one of those, it's good but... Games. Right. Uh, the Technomancer was a little bit more so, where it had a really compelling concept, but the gameplay never seemed to match up to it. Uh, mm. Greedfall, I mean, even in the coverage leading up to it, they were very much. Um, there's an interview on The Escapist, I believe, or Escapist Magazine, or whatever it's called nowadays, uh, where they said that they were very specifically looking to fill the void. That Bioware has right. left in this space. Uh, this was them taking a stab at a Bioware style game, and it's it's also, from what I understand, uh, it's a small team, and this is the largest kind of, like game they've ever worked on. Yeah. Uh, this in in terms of scope and scale. And I will say, from my impressions, I'm about twenty to twenty five hours in at this point. Uh, I'm very impressed by what they've done. Yeah, uh, it is. It feels weird in some ways to call it a Bioware-style game because there are many ways in which it feels like it's not. You know, you, beyond the fact that you don't have a conversation wheel or any sort of like Paragon or Renegade option or things like that, uh, things that we normally associate with Bioware, it still does have uh, companions. It has faction allegiances uh, to just kind of give the one pager description of what this game is you are desarde either uh sir or madam that you are departing for the island of tier which has recently been discovered uh the mainland continent which is ostensibly europe like let's just be i don't think it ever gets named i think they just kind of refer to it as the mainland and stuff like that but or the old world or whatever you want to call it but it is ostensibly a fantasy Europe and Tier D is in an, an island, but it shares much in common with many of the regions that were colonized in the exploration age in our own real history. Uh, you are there because a plague has been ravaging the continent and you are looking for a cure. And you believe that because the natives on this island have not been affected by the plague at all, that the remedy could be there. So you are embarking as the legate of the Congregation of Merchants. Uh, your cousin is the governor of the Congregation of Merchants, uh, the governor of New Serene, which is the the, the city that the merchants have established. Is one of three cities that have been established on the island. The other two, uh, one is San Mateus, which is started by a very devout, pious uh, theocracy called Teleme, which is mm-hmm. Uh, very much modeled after Spain in that era, the way that it has uh, a lot of you know, devotion to God, but to an extreme... Uh, to an extremist level that they have in Inquisition and things like that. And then the Bridge Alliance, which is a little bit harder to peg down, but is largely... Um, seems Middle Eastern influenced and has a lot of uh, science and mm-hmm. research pursuits. You know, academic. So you have... The merchants, who are your folks and you're mainly concerned about the trade that you can establish here and and also finding the cure. Uh, The church, who is really just looking to convert the entire world and go on this holy crusade. And uh, the bridge Alliance, who are trying to just study all the things that are happening here because the natives of Tirfordi are not only very... Interesting in their cultures and their customs, but they appear to have command of some level of magic. And and it is established early on that there is magic in this universe, but it's often very spiritual on some level. I, I think the only users of magic are either from Teleme or among the natives. Uh, and that includes yourself. And I wonder why that might include yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Beyond the fantastical elements, which do occur, it feels a little bit more Game of Thrones-y, like very early Game of Thrones, in that there is some level of magic and fantasy, but it often takes a backseat to the politics Mm -hmm. and the the diplomacy. And that's really the main focus of Greedfall and where I found the most enjoyment is that, as I've seen other folks uh, reference, you are a diplomat first and a fighter second you are not necessarily there to fight things you are there to you are there to discover you are there to interact and it's kind of up to you to decide who you side with because every choice you make has a, a reaction it will affect your standing with other factions it will affect your standing with your companions each of your companions kind of represents the various factions on the island both the ones that I've mentioned uh, the natives and the three nations as well as the coin guard who are this mercenary group that the—that that is hired by all three of the factions as kind of the brute manpower on the island and the knots who are the nautical seafaring folk who have some level of magic that allows them to navigate the seas uh, that take people to Tier free and to other uh, lands and and Ken, i'll I'll pitch it over to you with this. How do you feel about the way that th- this diplomacy plays out? Because the largest bit of conversation I feel around this game is how it handles the ideas of colonialism mm-hmm. and navigating a world where you are trying to maintain a peace, but it's at some point that does make you complicit in atrocities that are taking place, right? So, I mean,
1: to put it simply, it's kind of messy. Like, just as a whole, like, in the 40 or so hours that it took me to beat this game, I feel like the game makes, like, earnest attempts to, like, really reckon with that. But I think the the, the thing that probably is, like, getting under some people's skin is, like, the onus is on you to make that change. Because, like, it does, like, you know, like, you're, you're trying to, like, sort of maintain the peace and, like, establish these relationships with all these different factions... But a lot of the times, they're all stepping on the toes of one another, and most of the time, it's with the natives. To the point where, like, by the time the game was over, almost nobody liked me except for the natives,
0: so... Yeah. That's maybe one thing I felt very early on, um, is that frequently a lot of the... For all the the setup that they do very early on to paint the Bridge Alliance and Tuleme, who are supposed to be at war on this island, uh, but they've kind of... <laughs> non-verbally agreed to a ceasefire with one another uh, for the sake of exploiting the island, you end up in this weird situation where you are often caught between the colonizers and the natives themselves. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there is interesting exploration done in the dynamics within each group. I mean, there is some interesting parallels to draw in terms of okay, so the Bridge Alliance and Tomei may not be at war. But maybe they're trying to scheme and do things like maybe turn the natives against Tuleme in some way that will be to their benefit and things like that. Where they're not necessarily making overt action, but but it's still harming the faction that they want to harm, just not Mm. on the surface level. Uh, But for the most part, I found myself caught in that level of there was kind of one side, which is for the most part, like the coin guard and the knots and the natives who are kind of not the establishing colonizing people, but rather the people just trying to make a living and the power hierarchies that are being established on this island. And you're caught in a very interesting place as Desardes because you are, and, and I pulled this up because someone... Uh, it's, it's always frustrating, I, I told Ken earlier, when you've been trying to wrangle your thoughts with the <laughs> game and then someone eloquently does so in a Twitter thread. Uh, Robert Brooks who is a freelance uh, writer and narrative designer uh, according to their Twitter profile uh, has been playing Greedfall as well. And while they're not they say they're not that far into it um, they point out that the perspective of the character you play as is not as necessarily a blank slate as you would first assume in a role-playing game, you come from some level of privilege you come from mm-hmm. some level of established wealth and established power I mean, even very early on in the game, you can kind of throw it around a little bit you can be like, well, I am the legate of the congregation of merchants, and so you have mm-hmm. to listen to me um, you often throw that weight around in order to get where you need to go and they point out that um, and, and I'll quote this word for word here Greedfall's core mechanic of diplomacy encourages you from an in world standpoint to be a centrist, to play the middle and appease everyone. It even mechanically rewards you for upholding the power structures you benefit from and makes the game harder the more you resist. Uh I haven't played enough yet to know if there's payoff for this. I don't think anyone has yet. But it feels like the game I is have... making Yeah, Ken has. Um, <laughs> I'm the full person if... in the world. <laughs> But it feels like the game is making the struggle to resist a system of privilege realistically. It's a challenge to fight against the establishment. It's harder, and sometimes you can't. Um, that resonated with me and kind of how I've been feeling about this game, which is that mm-hmm. as Desardes, um, as as twists happen in the story, you begin to discover a little bit more about who you are and, and how you relate to this world. Uh, you start to have to make choices that are more reflective of what kind of world you want to live in and whether you want to live in the old world or live in a new world uh, that I imagine are probably going to come to head at some point near the end of the game. Uh, I would not know. I have not been there yet. Uh, we're not really going to discuss that here either because our I think our intention with the segment is to just kind of discuss it for folks who might be interested in this game as a Bioware-style game, but... That has been something that I found that it, Ken, you said you know it does make an earnest attempt, and I think that whether it does ever resolve that cleanly or not, I at least enjoy that it's trying. Right. If you know, and there's like a, there's a sense of awareness to like this is something that
1: you have to like reckon with, like that you can't just kind of like you know bring this this player into this world without making them critically. Engage with the choices that they're making and the factions that they're having to deal with.
0: Right, and and you think about, like, invoking this very specific era of human history is going to be fraught, no matter what. you You right. are, and that doesn't mean you shouldn't invoke it. That doesn't mean you shouldn't try. It does mean that you need to go into it with an awareness of what you're doing and treading in a way that you are not, you know, I would hate it if this game felt like it was just purely telling you, you know, take take the centrist path. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does incentivize you to do so, but I find that interesting because I think that plays into the way that we play video games. I feel like mm-hmm. we've already talked a lot in Mass Effect uh, about how we kind of try to min-max the system and try to play in a way that we'll have everybody on our side and we'll have... All these people working for us, and we're all working together, and that's great. But the thing that Greedfall is doing that I'm enjoying a lot is that it's it's forcing me to accept that no matter how much I try, I might be able to keep all my companions by my side. Which in this game, you can actually have your companions turn on you, have them leave your party, have them attempt to kill you, and you have to kill them. Uh, That happened to me at one point. There is a turning point where if you've not done certain things your companion will turn on you and you will have to fight them to death. And I think that's very interesting. But it it also shows that by at some point in this game, there will be a point where you have to choose. And, and more than have to choose, you have to choose in a way that it's not going to hand you a make good for the other side. I've already had some side quests resolve in a way where it was like, oh, there are... There is now tangible fallout of what I have done. I have tarnished the reputation of the Congregation Emergence and myself with one faction because I helped another. And I had to make that choice that I preferred this faction to the other. I thought that their reasoning was better. And yes, I could have gone back and done the opposite, but all that's going to do is flip it the other direction. And Mm -hmm. we talked a little bit in Mass Effect 3 about how you can largely there are choices that you make that that have ramifications but when it comes to things like war assets as long as you're making somewhat consistent and not completely boneheaded decisions you will get to the mark you need to get to to i mean especially with the extended cut dlc um Mm. you will get to the mark you need to hit to see the ending you want to see and that stuff doesn't really tangibly play out in the way that i've been seeing greedfall out. I've been enjoying the fact that I have to make these very deliberate decisions that have an effect on the world. And mm. I'm I'm hopeful that that pans out. I'm hopeful that there is some overarching conclusion that feels at least somewhat acknowledges all, all, of, all of that stuff. I know it's not... That's a big ask because this is a smaller team. This is not mm. a bioware size developer. This is, you know, from what I've heard... Um, maybe, like, two dozen developers working on this. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but I've heard that it's not a very large team. And I'm really impressed by what they've been doing so far. Um, It it is scratching that Bioware itch for me. I will say the combat's not that great. Uh, I don't know. I I mean, okay,
1: I played as a mage, so, like, it may be a little bit different. Like, I, from the perspective of somebody that typically plays the magic using class in RPGs like this, it feels like something I would like for Bioware to look at for Dragon Age 4 because, like, I like that there's, like, a little bit more of, like, a Twitch sensibility to it. Like, there is, like, actual sort of action RPG involvement that I don't really feel like I'd get a lot of
0: So in do you games still like find yourself like, sword fighting and things like that as a mage? Uh, you
1: get... So, like, you, you have magic. You obviously can use magic, but, like, you have MP, so, like, if that runs out, you can have, like, a one-handed um ability on like a one handed weapon so I like typically had an axe with me as well which I used in like cases where I needed to chip away at armor or I was out of MP and potions so that was like always sort of I imagine if that's like the bulk of what you're doing it's probably not quite as thrilling or engaging in the way that it was for me because like then it was like I felt handicapped in a way because like I was like this is the thing that I use when I cannot use the thing that I specialize in And so, and I was just going to say, like, and so, like, if I was doing that, like, the fight typically felt a little bit more high stakes than it did otherwise.
0: I will say that I feel like the melee combat is is overall maybe one of the weaker things in this game. Uh, It feels better when, so I played as, I I forget what it's actually, I think it's a ranger or something like that, uh, where you use uh, traps and uh, you can throw alchemical mixes and things like that. Uh, You can coat your blade in different uh, oils Mm. and poisons and things like that. And once I got into those abilities and started messing with them, it felt a little bit more rewarding. Although now I'm at the point where I I got the bomb ability, which is disgustingly overpowered. (laughs) Um, It's once you upgrade it all the way, you throw a, a potion and then shoot it in the air, and it makes an explosion in the area around where you threw it but I upgraded it once to increase the area it hits again to make it drop extra. So it does one blast and then extra blasts in the area out around it. So you like get a double explosion effect. And then Mm -hmm. the final upgrade for that one makes it. So it poisons everyone in the area along with like destroying their armor and doing a ton of damage. So once you have that, I can like two shot most basic mobs and in mm. fact, I, I went into the arena because there was a companion quest where I had to get to a certain level of the arena in order to further the companion quest. And I was only supposed to get to the third of five stages. And I just kept going. And by yeah. the time I got to the fifth stage, it, it like the enemy had a skull over their head. It was very much like you should not be able to fight this enemy right now. And I still just fought them anyway and beat them mm. Uh and I will say I like the larger enemies in this game a lot. I think yeah. there's some really cool design in the way that they do that. I think that uh, arena boss in particular was very good. I think other similar style, uh, I, I believe they're called Nadag, N- mm. uh the it's guardians. Guy, yeah. uh, they're very fun to fight. I really enjoy yeah. fighting them.
1: And they're typically, I mean, at least in my experience as a mage, were pretty challenging as well. Like I, yes, yeah, I could get like one or two shots and then be dead. Like, there was, like, the one on, um, the final Vasco mission, like, where you come upon, like, sea yes. yeah, yeah, Like, that was, like, a very, very difficult fight for me initially, because at that point, like, I didn't have, uh, healing for, like, like, party-wide healing. So, if I, like, it, like, I'd have enough to revive them, like, once or twice, but... A lot, of, Like, by the end of that, I was very much handed it alone with very little in peace. So, like, that was when I was having to use my axe instead. So, like, I think that maybe not necessarily in, like, the sort of, like, the wild encounters that you have, but, like, when it is a very crafted fight with something that's bigger than, you know, the average enemy that you fight, that is where I've got the most out of it.
0: Mm-hmm. I do want to touch on one more thing about Greedfall before we wrap this segment, because again, I don't want to go like deep into the story spoilers. I, you know, all the all the companions are very good. I have found that every member of the party that has joined has added to it. And it initially I was kind of like, oh, you only get, you know, I think it's one, two, three, five uh, party companions. That's not a lot. You know, that's kind of low. It's like Mass Effect one numbers. It's not really. It's mm-hmm. maybe even less than Mass Effect one because I think mm-hmm. Mass Effect one was six. Yeah. Um But. Each one feels very realized and very fleshed out. Yeah. And also they, they do a very good job, like a surprisingly good job, even compared to Bioware, of incorporating who you bring along to missions. Because there will yeah. be entire dialogues that only happen if you have certain either one certain character or combinations of characters in a mission. And, and if they're not there, you just don't get them. And there's also dialogue options that can only happen if you have certain characters present. Things right. like that are incredibly good. And mm-hmm. you, you don't realize how good it is until you hear from other people, as I did, that, like, oh, I brought this person along on this mission and it completely changed this thing. And I'm like, yeah. wow. Like, yeah. even Bioware never really got there with that. They still right. have not. And to see that. I mean, granted, this is a smaller game than what BioWare's been doing lately. Uh this is not an Andromeda style game. I think scale-wise, I would probably compare this to Dragon Age 2. Uh it in a yeah, lot of ways this game feels like... like in a lot of ways this game feels like Dragon Age 2. It feels like a spiritual yeah. successor to that game, both in the narrative setting and in kind of the way that you interact with people on the island. Uh the way that a lot of dungeons repeat. <laughs> There's a lot of things in it that feel very, like, Dragon Age 2. Like, they played that, and they're mm-hmm. like, we're going to make our version of this. And they, right. I feel like they did a lot of things well in that regard. Uh, the one mm-hmm. last thing I want to touch on before we kind of let it go is that every freaking quest in this game is so damn involved. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I knew that was another one of their big points, that they were talking about leading up is that you're like no fetch quests no no open world bullshit no none of that everything you do is going to have lore and it's going to have characters involved and there's going to be dialogue and even if you're doing something as simple as like repairing bells in the middle of the forest it still has a very deliberate reason that you are doing this thing and you will see tangible benefit both in finishing the quest and getting the XP and rewards for it, but in also learning more about the world, progressing towards your next objective, all that kind of stuff. It's, frankly, if I was not reviewing this game, I would just be, like, awestruck by it. Part of mm-hmm. me, like, reviewing this game, I was kind of frustrated because I was like, I have to do every side quest now. I right. have to do all these. And, and I am. I'm, like, making sure I'm going through and hitting all those before I get to the end of the game. And it's it's really cool like I I'm just yeah. floored by spiders really seemed like they were just going to you know just put it all on the line yep. with this one and I feel like they it, it's a resounding uh, uh it, a line that got cut from my impressions, which it's good that it got cut because I should not use cliches, but I said it was like a crack of the bat like when you're sitting, in a baseball game and everyone's kind of hanging out and they're just talking and then you just hear that crack and you're like somebody just got a big piece of the baseball and it's heading for the fences i don't know i'm not at the end yet i don't know if it's a home run right now it it feels like a solid um like average middle of the road game for me uh I, i say average that's like I believe I've already talked to Ken. I was like, at one point I, d- I said to someone, this is going to be my favorite 3.5 out of 5 I've yep. played this year. And yeah, it's 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 like messy in a lot of places. The yep. lip syncing doesn't always match up. Character models aren't exactly yeah. up to snuff with what you would expect nowadays. It can get right. kind of hitchy. Like you yourself had console issues where you were hitting yeah. like quest breaking bugs and things like mm-hmm. that. <laughs> I've had like bizarre situations where... I will have the camera just freak out when I, like, pan around mm-hmm. a tree or something, or I will just kind of get caught on something, or some random character will just kind of, like, f- just do weird open-world stuff that you would kind of expect in Andromeda, like, just some goofy stuff happening. Yeah. it It, it is not the most polished experience. It's not the most... Uh, solid experience. And from what I've been seeing from your review impressions and from, from my impressions so far from other people playing it, it sounds like it may not completely stick the landing in in that perfect way that you would hope. But yeah. I am like, I, I'm A, very happy this exists because I feel like it is 100% filling that Bioware void I have in my heart right now. And no. B, it makes me really excited for what this studio does next because... No. If they build off this, if they, if you look at this and you say like this is their Dragon Age Origins, this is their no. uh, The Witcher One, you know, this is where they can start. They can build a baseline. This is easily the most I've ever heard anyone talk about a spider's game. Uh, if this actually like pans out very well for them, I'm very excited to see yeah. what this means for the future. So the one thing I didn't want to touch on though that we didn't yes. yeah.
1: like that we surprisingly did not mention in all things we've said so far. We should probably talk about this game's approach to romance and the fact that it is like. Yeah. Weird. Like. Worse than Mass Effect 1 in the way that, in sort of like the clarity in which they portray these things. Because. So, correct me if I'm wrong, you have not even seen what is designated as a romance line yet?
0: I have. I I talked to. I talked to Aphra while I was playing the other night. And I saw that there was a... It was like, ask about dot, dot, dot. Like, it was going to mm-hmm. segment into one of those, but it had hearts next to it. And I was like, okay, if I do that, then it's going to kind of take me down that path. I'm not romancing Afra. I'm going for Siora. I knew it from the beginning. I was like, is my girl. Yeah. but so, and, and you got your sights set early on, on one Mr. Vasco. Yeah. I, at least I was absolutely trying to before, like... Salty okay. sea dog over here.
1: So, the weird thing is, like... I, since, you know, finishing the game and writing my review, I have went back and, like, reloaded old saves and did literally every permutation of the student's dialogue trying to get to the romance stuff. I never once saw one of those heart, uh, things ever. Like, Hmm. even, like, even when, because I eventually, I, I don't know what permutation of it I did to get to this point because I, I originally opened up my save to, uh, Take like clip out a certain dialogue exchange That I was gonna like make like be snarky About on Twitter like this is real gay So why are we not fucking or something like that And So like I I loaded up the save file And then I talked to him and instead of like Doing something that I'd already seen He starts reciting a poem to me And I'm like I haven't heard this before What's going on And then like so, so somehow I had gotten to the point where like Our relationship was considered romantic or like Leaning that way and then was able to pursue it for the rest of the thing, and like so now I probably need to go play the whole game again to see how that changes.
0: Because Do you know if it was like a location thing, like depending where where did you talk to him when it I don't happened?
1: think so because like, I mean I I had talked to him because this was right after his final loyalty mission, like you're you're still in the docks, and I that's, that's the same place I had talked to him when I played it the first time, so I don't really know at this point what it was that. Triggered the change, and that's what frustrates me. Is like there's a clarity issue here in the way that like, and it's not even just that because like obviously something I said to him like, raised that flag, but again like I, it was never designated with the hearts, so like I don't know what it was, and ultimately like, you know as nice as like the relationship is and the, the way that it sort of wrapped up, it feels very. Uninvolved and kind of throwaway in a way that, like, because, like, you know, you get to the point where, like, Dragon Age 2, Inquisition, Mass Effect 3, Andromeda, like, you establish those relationships and then they are, like, a through line through the rest of the game. This felt very much like I don't, like, I feel like I could, like, this after we've established this relationship, there's nothing more for me to say to him. Because, like, there's no extra dialogue options after the fact. It's, it feels very like tacked on in a way or at least like this one did i don't know how everything else plays out and maybe i'll at some point go look up and see how all the other relationships go but right now it feels like you know they've taken all this care into like trying to emulate like a bioware style game but like something that is really near and dear to a lot of people that play this game's hearts it does not it feels like they could have gone that like extra mile for which i was kind of let down by
0: yeah, that is that is one interesting thing to bring up because like I in my current playthrough, I'm trying to romance Ciora and I've been messaging you what feels like every night, like, hey, when does the next Seora companion quest come up? Because you do one very early on, and then as far as I've seen, there hasn't been another for a very long time. Yeah, and even you don't I get think... into
1: like more than, like, past the midway point of the game, I would say. Yeah,
0: I think you even mentioned, because you were like, oh, I've done two already, how have you not done yeah. one yet? And it's because one of them, like, flows very naturally into the other, so I guess that would technically count as two missions, but I thought of them as one. Uh, but overall, it was, like, it's not as rigidly structured as Bioware. When you think of the way that those games progress, you can usually rely on okay i'm going to go do a main mission and some side missions and then when i advance the story i then talk to everybody else and that will kind of advance all their storylines and then if they have something important to me you know in previous BioWare games they would just bring it up whenever you go talk to them after the mission and then they eventually introduce things where they will tell you like hey this person wants to talk to you uh and this does not have that and granted that's something that when we look at the things that they could that spiders could improve in the future, that is definitely one. Mm-hmm. I I'm always kind of weird. I don't know why I've been thinking about it a lot recently. Maybe it's because we've been doing this podcast, or maybe it's because uh, one of my like literally my game of the year right now is Fire Emblem Three Houses, and I was thinking a lot about this uh, in regards to the romance in that game, where the subject of video game romance gets brought up, but it's in Fire Emblem Three Houses, it's honestly not that large of a component it is also very much a footnote in that game where hmm. you kind of can set it up early and say like oh this is who i might want to romance uh, very early on in the game and then later on in the game it doesn't matter who you chose there because you can still just be like oh this is who i am a rank with that i want to s rank which is the romance rank uh that is specific to byleth um and and you go like, okay, that's this is who I'm S-ranking, and then a little cutscene plays out, and then you get automatically paired up for your epilogue, which the game also automatically pairs up units for the epilogue as well. So if you have, say, in my playthrough, Claude and Hilda were highest level of support with each other, so they had an epilogue where it was like, H- Claude and Hilda got married, and this is how it panned out. Uh, that's, like, very Fire Emblem, which is the romance is just kind of a way for them to put, like, a... I think of it like the ending of Harry Potter, where you're like, oh, look, they, they got together and got married and had kids, and that's wonderful, yay. Like, it's that very same feeling, rather than Bioware, which wants to get into that, like... Not just the initial romance, but the continued... The continuation of it how it affects your relationship moving forward and especially like dragon age 2 again we bring it up a lot that game does that very well because you actually see how a relationship blossoms because of how early you can get into one with another character Mm -hmm. And, and and that game takes place over the course of like 10 years so yeah and i feel like that was very much to its benefit and one thing that that game does so well that i feel like no other game ever has um it's, God, you know, maybe we do need to do Dragon Age, just so we can talk about Dragon Age 2. <laughs> we got Soldier On Through. God, I don't even remember Awakening. There's a Golem in that, isn't there?
1: No, that was a DLC character in Origins.
0: Okay, then I don't think i played Awakening. Because <laughs> I remember that there being... That was where
1: a- Anders first shows up.
0: What? Yeah. Maybe, okay, no, maybe maybe I have played it. I don't remember. I remember the thing with the Golem. That was, that was, I remember that being cool, but I also remember disliking large swaths of Origins and being like, well, that was neat, but I kind of don't want to play that again ever, and then Dragon Age 2 came along, and I'm a damn Mark, so I just picked it up anyways, (laughs) and that was the thing that did the thing much better. I, yeah, no, I, I. I court controversy when I say that I think Dragon Age 2 is better than Origins. Um, Hey, look. (laughs) Pay more money to our Patreon and we'll talk about it. (laughs) Um... That'll do it for this week. Next week we'll be talking about uh, the Archon ship and all the sort of hijinks we're going to get up to there as well as all the stuff we kind of missed here. We've got some plot threads to wrap up on Aya and on the Tempest and we should probably also talk about some of these arcs that have been drifting around. I've been hearing that there's some uh, some some ruffling going around, some some rabble rousing around these, these arcs. We need to go check out what's going on. I mean, we've got the hints about the Turian one. We should probably go check that out, right? Mm-hmm expect a very long episode next week oh boy well until next week thank you for tuning wait, in Wait, wait, this... oh give that shout out Give it... oh of course how could how could i forget how could i forget our excellent patrons who always support us who are always here for us who are here to listen to our bullshit as we almost forget about <laughs> you uh all of our patrons on norm dfm and a special shout out to ruben vander, vander Lunn, so you have messaged us and you've told us that we got that pronunciation wrong but you have hey, not don't, told don't me don't you
1: bring me into this that was all you
0: but you have not told me how to get it right yet so you, ruben you need to to message us and tell us how to get it right so we stop messing it up until then, i'm just going to call you ruben ruben <laughs> for sure <short>. Fair enough <laughs> uh, and then once we get confirmation on how to properly say your name uh we will say the whole thing but thank you so much for being a high level donor we don't really have names for our tiers. we're just going to call you a super donor we we love you for supporting us if you want to support us if you want to see us do more stuff if you want to see us talk about dragon age uh if you want to see us god forbid get to like kotor and jade empire and all the other stretch goals we have anthem oh is that the next one after dragon age
1: I don't or, think no, so. I think Jade I think, Empire is.
0: I think it goes. I yeah. I think it goes Jade Empire, Kotor, and then Anthem. I think I specifically said that Anthem has to be the last one. <laughs> I think I might have
1: actually put. I think I made it strategically where like Kotor would be last. I don't fucking like Star Wars. so I don't want to play
0: it. You what? I I haven't played Kotor. I stutter. I haven't played Kotor, and I would rather play Kotor than play Anthem.
1: Probably, you're probably right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's locked in stone now, Ken, so we can't do anything about it. <laughs> so until next time, we'll see you right here Dormidia